Easter Sunday, 2023. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean to you? It means something personally for every single one of us, right? So I'm going to open up with the, the scriptures here. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 25. Here we read that, Now that same day, this is the day of resurrection, two of these disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That is the ministry of Jesus and of course his uh, uh, death on the cross. And now that Easter morning, suddenly, as far as they knew, that the tomb was empty, but they didn't know exactly what had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus, here's Jesus walking along with them, and they don't even know it's Jesus. Maybe they weren't expecting him to come by. I guess not, because they thought he was still dead at this point. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. It's a very sorrowful time for them. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? What things? He asked. <laughs> kind of funny, isn't it? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in deed, word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. <clears throat> and what is more, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Hallelujah. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. See, uh, he, they still don't know about his resurrection appearances. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? This is a novel concept to them. They don't know anything about this. And from the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Hallelujah. Wow. 
Praise the Lord, Lord, that we just celebrate your resurrection today. And we thank you, Lord, that you're going to teach us new things out of your word. And Lord, it may it penetrate our hearts. And Lord, help us to take this away with us this morning when we leave this place, Lord God, that you are alive. And because you are alive, we have life in you. Hallelujah. And we can live a resurrected lives ourselves. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. And uh, bless this message now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today is Easter. I'm sorry, I'm behind again already. Before we go into our Easter message, it's good, a good thing to meditate on what preceded the resurrection. What happened two days ago? Friday. Good Friday. Hallelujah. You know, it almost seems like a, a misnomer to call it Good Friday. It was the day in which our Lord was crucified on behalf of our sins. And the Bible says it wasn't on just behalf of our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation or the satisfactory atonement, satisfactory payment. For our sins. And not only for ours alone, but also for the sins of the entire world. Jesus died for everyone. But the problem is, people have to acknowledge it and believe in it and receive Him into their lives before that atonement becomes effective for them. And it's a very special day for us because of it. That's why we call it Good Friday, not Bad Friday. And it has ramifications for us beyond just having our uh, sins forgiven. It gives us a model uh, for us in that we are to, are to lead this crucified life. Jesus said, if any man will come after men, he must do three things. He must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Paul also wrote in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And finally, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Even before he went to the cross, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to his Father. And he said, uh, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, you know, but your, not my will, but yours be done. Okay? You know, Jesus was talking about picking up the cross. At that very moment, you know, he wouldn't pick up the physical cross for a number of hours, still in the future. But spiritually speaking, he picked up his cross right then and there when he said not my will but thine be done so as such we need to take Good Friday very seriously and I you know I was thinking about this is past Good Friday if you're ever going to fast on any day Good Friday is as good a day to fast as any now 
I want to tell you about my, uh, what I'm envisioning. You know, it's, it's too late to do it this year. But in the past, I've kind of wanted to have a Good Friday service here. You know, and I've kind of been reluctant. You know, we're a small church. I don't know how many people uh, would come. But, you know, I, I just... The Lord, you know, we didn't make the announcement last week, or maybe we would have it this time. You know, if, even if nobody else shows up, I'm going to come here. Do it. Amen. Just do it. Okay? Sister. We're going to do that starting next year, you know. And I, what I'll do is, you know, those first two songs that we sang, you know, they were talking about the cross. I'm just going to get a bunch of songs. Maybe I, I should be able to glean maybe an hour's worth, and we'll just play those songs and I'll, you know, uh, you know, maybe give a, a quick Good Friday message of only maybe 15 minutes or something like that. And then we'll uh, partake of communion. Sure. You know, I think we're going to do that starting next year. Because Good Friday, it, it's, it ne really needs to be something. Because, you know, uh, you know, we say, well, it's Good Friday. You know, what is that? You know, it's, it's everything. Living the crucified life is everything to the Christian uh, walk. Amen? Yes. Okay, so we're going to do that uh, starting next year, I can uh, promise you. Okay, I've made the commitment now. You guys will hold me to it. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I, or more importantly, the Lord is going to hold me to it. Hallelujah. Now, I read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. The passage that I read is not a usual uh, scripture that we associate with uh, Easter. And as such, it doesn't get that much attention. You know, we usually talk about the women going to the tomb, hoping to further anoint the uh, uh, body of Jesus. And they get there and they find that the stone has t rolled away. You know, the, one of the passages says, well, they're, they're discussing, who's going to roll away the stone? You know, it's way too heavy for us, you know, uh, two women to do it. And they get there and the stone has already rolled away. Well, guess what? The body wasn't there. Amen? Amen. So why did the, it says that the angel came by. The angel was the one that rolled away the stone. Why did the angel rolled away, roll it away? Well, he didn't roll it away to let Jesus out. He rolled it away to let people in and see what had happened. Okay, so they go in there, they look in the tomb, and they see angels sitting there. Then Jesus later appears to uh, them, the two women, and also uh, still later to the 11 remaining apostles and a lot of other people uh, too that aren't recorded there, including this one, this story right here with Cleopas and an unnamed uh, disciple. So this little story here that I read in Luke chapter 24 gives a little a bit of a different perspective. One of the two things that we notice is that for these two disciples, and really all the rest, was that Jesus' death was unexpected. When Jesus came in the previous Sunday on Palm Sunday, they said, oh, glorious day, you know, he's going to deliver us, you know, he's going to set himself up as king. And that didn't happen. Instead, five days later, on Good Friday... They crucified him. 
But it was unexpected. You know, they didn't expect that to happen. You know, that can happen to us too. We have a loved one that suddenly takes ill or suffers a horrific accident, and then, just like that, they're gone. That happened to Dolly just uh, about three and a half months ago, at the end of, just before the new year. You know, uh, I remember uh, the night before it happened, you know, she told me that uh, her, her mother was sick. You know, her mother was 99. She'd taken sick. And the next thing I know, the next morning at 5.30 in the morning, there's Dolly bursting into the room there and said, my mother passed away. You know, it happened just like that. You know, and it wasn't completely unexpected, I mean, considering her age. But it shows you just how rapidly things can change. Now this passage is almost kind of comical with what happens here, you know. Reading through the passage, you read that two disciples, there's, one of them is named Cleopas in verse 18, and another unnamed disciple are walking the road from Jerusalem to a little uh, village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles away. Back when I was in shape in my younger days, I could walk seven miles in about maybe a couple of hours. So it took them at least a couple hours to get there. And probably even longer because they were probably just walking slowly, you know, because they were their hearts were uh, so broken with what had happened to uh, Jesus. So Jesus walks up to them and what asked them what they were saying, but they don't know it's Jesus because the King James version says their eyes were holden. That is, they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus didn't want them to be aware of who he was at that moment. And furthermore, he acts as, you know, he eavesdrops in on their conversation and he acts as if he has no idea what they're talking about. You know, God sometimes does stuff like this uh, to us, you know, and he does it to uh, allow us to reveal what's in our hearts. So, this is what's comical about the thing uh, is, uh, you know, the, here they are. They're telling Jesus about Jesus as if he didn't know. And what they, you know what they were doing is they were telling what their concept of Jesus and, uh, you know, larger picture of the, the Messiah in general, what their concept of him was all about. And their concept was that of a national deliverer. Verse 21. We thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. You know, a lot of folks are like this. They have this presupposed concept of what God is all about and what Jesus is all about. They, they have their own concept of Jesus what he sh and what he should be. And this always will fall short of the real Jesus. I want the real Jesus. Amen? Everybody want the real Jesus? Okay, you find out about him from Scripture. There are a lot of Jesuses out there. There's the Jesus of the Mormons, the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Jesus of uh, Islam, and every single one of them falls short of who Jesus really was. The eternal God made incarnate. 
taking on human flesh, dying for the sins of the world, and then rising from the dead. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And the only way you can know who the real Jesus is by the scriptures here. And that's what Jesus took them to. So what those two disciples failed to realize is that there are two different, very different pictures of the Messiah in the Old Testament. The first of these is what the disciples focused on, not only the two on the road to Emmaus, but the twelve also. And they were focused on that of a conquering king. The people of Israel were enamored with this. You see, it was a very bleak period of time for the people of uh, Judah and Israel at the time. Because after a brief period of independence, you know, that was started off by the, Mac- the revolt of the Maccabees back about the year 130 BC, BC, you know, what came about was that the Roman general Pompey came roaring down through there and conquered the land. And so they were subjugated to the boot of the Roman Empire. And it was gradually um, increasing its uh, grip more and more, oppressing the people more and more. So they wanted this conquering king that will throw off the yoke of the Romans. And they thought Jesus was going to do it, but he didn't. And they were very disappointed in that. Now the second picture was that of a suffering servant who would die for the sins of the world. And Jesus straightens them out. As I read there in uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Then he, that Jesus, said to them, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, O fools! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Jesus to have suffered these things to and to enter into his glory? They didn't know about the suffering servant. They probably wouldn't have wanted him if, even if they did know about him. But it says at the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, uh, the things concerning himself. So Jesus went into those scriptures and showed them, here is the Messiah, but he's not the conquering king you expect. He's got to be the suffering servant uh, beforehand. So, the second picture is that of the suffering servant. You see what happened here? The God of these two disciples and the rest of the disciples as well was too small because they thought God only wanted to redeem Israel. That's what, that's what they said back then. You know, we thought that he, I think it was verse 21, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. No, Jesus wasn't just going to redeem Israel. Jesus was going to redeem the entire world, including us. Amen. Hallelujah. John 3, 16. God so loved Israel that he... Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, so the epilogue to the story, 
They break bread with Jesus and suddenly recognize him. Then he vanishes from their sight. I'll read that just real quickly here. This is in uh, verse 28 of Luke chapter uh, 24. And they, that is Jesus and the two disciples, drew near to the village of Emmaus, to which they went. And he made, Jesus made like he was going to go on further. But they constrained him. And he said, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with him. And it came to pass, as he was eating with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Bango! The light came on. Hey, this is Jesus that walked with us. And they recognized him. And what happened? He vanished from their sight. You know, I'm going to talk about the, the uh, body that God is going to give us in the day of resurrection too. But this is what was the thing about uh, Jesus' body, his resurrection body, is he could instantly step from one dimension, from the physical dimension to the spiritual dimension. And that's how, that's how he uh, was able to exit out of the uh, uh, grave clothes and the tomb. And that's how he was able to eventually, uh, you know, stand with them, even though they had the uh, uh, doors locked in the, uh, the upper room there. He was able to come in because he could instantly step from one dimension to the next. This is what his resurrection body is like. Verse 32, and the two disciples... Uh, in a, they're now in Emmaus. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us along the way and while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem to rejoin the disciples there. Okay? So, uh, you know, they... they it was forgotten the reason why they went to Emmaus. Maybe they ever lived there, but they returned to Jerusalem. And I guarantee you, you got, they got back to Jerusalem a lot faster than they had come. Amen? They were really excited. Hallelujah. Okay. So, Good Friday according to God's plan. They, they, you know, when you think about it, they, uh, uh, it was probably dark by the time they got to, to Jerusalem. But no matter, you know, the light was now in their soul, you know. But this is the point that I want to make here before we actually go into what the resurrection means to us. Nothing catches God by surprise. It caught the disciples by surprise, but not God. The death of his son was not unexpected. You know, God was not there, you know, scratching his chin. I say that metaphysically, you know, you know, figuratively. God, the Father doesn't have a chin, you know, because he is the Spirit. But, you know, metaphorically speaking, God was not scratching. Now, I didn't expect him to do that, you know. That was his plan all along. And Peter observes this in that great sermon of his on the day of Pentecost. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom 
God raised up. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible, it was not possible that he should be held by it. Once Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, death could not hold him anymore. Yes. And I've told you before, what did I say about the, it is finished? It's an accounting term mean, meaning paid in full. Our debt of sin has been paid in full. full. And so death could not hold him anymore. The problem with the disciples here is they had not read the Gospels beforehand. They were experiencing it in real time. They didn't know that the birth of Jesus was for the death of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the Son, took on human flesh. And he did it for two reasons. Number one, he did it to show us who God really is. You want to know what God's like? You look at Jesus. And that's why his teachings are so profound. That's why it's important for us to read them. But maybe even more important than his teachings are what he did for us on the cross as he redeemed all of mankind. And now we can have eternal life through him. So God has a deliberate and well thought out plan for us as well. Not just for the world, but for us individually. And we may not see it at the time. So some terrible tragedy befalls us. And all we do is focus in on the tragedy and not what God is saying through it. We say, you know, this tragedy happens to us and we say, where is God? God, what are you doing? Where is God in all this? You know, maybe the biggest tragedy that ever befell me I've shared with you uh, this before, was the death of my mother, you know, two weeks after I graduated from high school. It wasn't unexpected. You know, she'd been, uh, uh, you know, suffering from uh, uh, breast cancer for about a year at the time. And, you know, I think it affected my sister a lot more than I did. You know, I just always just accepted it as uh, God's will. And you know that uh, her death completely turned my life around. Because my father, probably less than 10 months later, had remarried. And his marriage with my new stepmother was an absolute disaster. And because of that, because of the turmoil in the home life, I couldn't afford to move out on my own, so I wound up joining the U.S. Air Force. That would have never happened if my mother had lived. And that set in, you know, my life in a completely different direction. I may never, and I, pro- I'm, uh, I probably never would have gotten, gone away to Bible college received the call to go to uh, uh, Dolly's home country of Thailand. 
You know, I wouldn't even be pastor here right now. You, you realize that? I wouldn't be the pastor here if it hadn't been for the death of my mother. And these things happen for a reason. And we need to see God's purpose in them. Maybe with the passing of time as it has with my life, we'll look back and see God's purpose in it. But then again, it may not happen this side of eternity. You know, we'll only know why such things happen to us until we see God face to face. And he shows us the reason why it happened. But in the meantime, we're to trust God anyway. Because he really knows what he is doing. Amen? So think for now, just think of what befalls you is working for your good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that we know all things, not some things, not a few things, all things work together for good to them that are called of God and according to His purpose. That love God and are called according to His purpose. Your ending can be a new beginning. And that's what the resurrection is all about. It's a whole new ball game now. You know that last song that we sang before uh, we began here. You know, Peter is up there in the upper room and he's moping. And he said, even if he was alive, it wouldn't be the same. It wasn't going to be the same. It was going to be better. You know, Mary Magdalene, she sees Jesus in John chapter 20. And he re she realized, she, she made the mistake too. She thought it was a gardener at first. Because she wasn't, again, she wasn't expecting to see Jesus. And it's only when Jesus said to her, Mary. As probably he had uh, said to her many, many times before. And then she realized it was Jesus. And what she do? She grabs onto him. Lord, you've gone away from me. I'm not going to let you go again. And Jesus said, stop clinging to me, Mary. You know, it's a different ball game. I'm going to ascend up into heaven. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. And I'm not just going to, I'm never going to leave you again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you forever in the presence of my Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian here, you have Jesus living in your heart. Amen. Not physically. But in the presence of the Holy Spirit, He is in your life. So, <clears throat> He is present now with us, and He will be present with us for the rest of our days here on earth, and of course in heaven, you know, because of the resurrection. Okay, so let's get on with the main gist of the. Uh, Message Now, six practical aspects of the resurrection for our lives. I, you know, I want to say right now, I've borrowed this outline from a uh, message that uh, Greg Laurie, you know, normally I write my own material, but in this case I borrowed his outline. And, uh, you know, 
I do this for two reasons. Number one, it's blessed me, okay? And number two, probably none of you will ever hear this message. So you're going to hear it through me. Hallelujah. Six practical aspects of the resurrection. Uh, Number one, Jesus' resurrection assures us of acceptance by God. Paul is speaking of Abraham and the faith of Abraham and it's the, how the faith of Abraham was counted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 verses 24 and 25. He said that this righteousness by faith shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses but and was raised because of our justification. The problem is with many Christians is that they think they have to further do good works. That's not true. You don't need to do any more good works to be righteous before God. You know, our righteousness, brothers and sisters, will never be enough. Amen? It says there in Isaiah chapter uh, 64, verse 6, it says that we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Nothing we do will give us a right standing before God. But Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, And be found in him, in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. See, Paul was obeying that Jewish law, trying to obey it right down to the very letter. But he says, I don't have a righteousness based on that obedience to that law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So nothing you could do will ever make you righteous before God. You just have to believe in what Jesus did on the cross for you. And then he was raised from the dead as proof of that justification. You know, when Jesus was giving his great bread of life sermon. You read about this in John chapter 6. You know, the people came up to him and they said, what must we do to work the works of God? You know what Jesus said? He said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. You appropriate the righteousness of God by faith. So the bottom line is uh, this. We either stand before God in the day of judgment, dressed in the filthy rags of our own self-righteousness, or we stand before Him in the clean, spotless robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to us. I choose the latter. What do you choose? Amen. Okay, number two. Second aspect of the resurrection for our life. The resurrection of Christ assures me that I have all the power that I need to live the resurrection of Christ, uh, live the uh, Christian life. 
says in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you know, he, he, just a couple of chapters in Romans chapter 6, he talked about this and what it means. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I think of it this way, brothers and sisters. Before you were dying, you were dying by the poison of sin in your life. Jesus comes to you and he says, here's the antidote. My own precious blood. You partake of this, you know, again in a metaphysical way. You partake of it. It will wash your sins away and you will be cured of this poison of sin. So, should I receive the cure? Then continue to drink that poison of sin anymore? Doesn't work that way, does it? You repent of your sin and He will give you the power to overcome it. You have the power to overcome sin by the name and blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Therefore God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name. Okay, that name is yours. And I preached on the name of Jesus for Sunday after Sunday a while ago. You know, I still didn't finish everything I had to say about that. One of these days, I intend to come back to it. But remember that. You have the cure now. And if the devil comes to you, you have the authority to tell him to be gone in the name of Jesus. You say, Satan, every demon of hell, bow now to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, number three. The resurrection of Christ assures me that I will live forever yes. with Him in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and uh, through uh, 55. It says, So when this incorruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? Now you've got to understand here something here. When the Bible says death, it doesn't mean, you know, we pass into nothingness. You know, we may think it's that way because, you know, when, you know, somebody dies in this life, of course, their spirit leaves their body. And so what happened to their spirit? Did it just go off into nothingness? Well, if you listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they believe that's what it is. They believe that death is annihilation. It's not annihilation. When you see death in the Bible, it speaks of separation. Physical death, the uh, 
spirit and soul, the immaterial part of man, leaves the physical body. Amen. And when you talk about spiritual death, physical and spiritual death, when you talk about spiritual death, it's talking about the separation of your soul and spirit from God. And we are all born spiritually dead. That's why we have to be made alive. Yes. Amen? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. His spiritual life will come and live in you. And you have that fellowship with Him. Yes. Hallelujah. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. This is why it makes sense, you know, uh, Jesus had, uh, or God had told Adam and Eve, He said, uh, in the day that you partake of that forbidden fruit, you will certainly die. It wasn't just in the very day. It was in the very hour. It was in the very minute, the very second that they chose to obey and disobey God, that they died spiritually. They died in their trespasses and sins. They wouldn't die physically for 900 or some more years, something like that. But they died spiritually that very hour, and that spiritual death has passed on to mankind. And you need to be reborn. You need to be born again by God's Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. So, that spiritual death, that spiritual separation from God, died when Christ rose. Yes. Hallelujah. Jesus said to Mary, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never, never die. So, you say, I want an eternal life. Well, you, if you're born again, you have eternal life now. Yes. You're still living in the flesh, your flesh is going to one day die, but you have that eternal life, that union with Jesus Christ now. If you have Jesus living in your heart, you've accepted Him, you have eternal life. Everybody say, I have eternal life. Again, I have eternal life now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. Number four, at the resurrection of the, the resurrection of Christ assures me that one day I will receive a body just like his resurrection body. Yeah. You know, you talk to people on the street, and well, I believe in uh, resurrection, but you know, they think that you're talking about some kind of ethereal uh, spirit, you know, kind of Casper the friendly ghost, you know, that, that type of thing. Okay? Well, it, in, in a way that's true because obviously you don't come, you know, you're, you don't physically come back, you know, when you die. You know, that's still for the day of resurrection. That, that's a future thing that will happen at the second coming of Christ. But, you know, your spirit leaves your body, but it goes directly into the presence of God, uh, of Christ. 
We will not be raised as spirits, but in spiritual bodies. Talks about the spiritual body. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 44. It says that, the, you know, talks about this physical body. It says there's a physical body. And then there is a spiritual body. And indeed, the whole context of that great resurrection chapter. If you're not familiar with it, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long chapter, I know, but it's got just packed with so much meaning. You know, the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection in a spiritual body. We will be raised in bodies on the day of resurrection, but they are going to be radical. I mean, radical. Everybody say radical upgrades from the bodies we live in now. And to see what they're like, again, just look at the body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. It's kind of a prototype. And really, you know, it, his body hadn't even been fully upgraded either because he hadn't ascended up into heaven. You know, people could see him. He looked just like a man, right? You know, again, he could... Willful, uh, willingly passed from one dimension to another. But he still hadn't been exalted. You want to see what he uh, was, uh, what he looks like now that he's up, ascended up into heaven and has been exalted? Look what happened when John saw him. Amen? In the book of Revelation. John fell at his feet, you know. Couldn't abide that presence, you know. He couldn't look at him. That's the way that Jesus' body is now, and I believe that's the, one, the kind of body that he's going to give us here too. How do you know that? Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We are going to have a glorious body just like Jesus has. Amen. And finally, Philippians, or I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Beloved, now are we, we are the uh, children of God, yet it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't have any idea what these bodies are going to be like. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Hallelujah. That's great, isn't it? Praise God. Number five here. We're almost done here. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we too can also have resurrected relationships yeah. in our life. Amen. You know, they, they talk a lot about people that have these life after death, you know, situations. You know, they, they're dead for, clinically dead for a period of time. They come back up. And some of them say that they see Jesus. Others of them see, you know, loved ones that have passed on before they did. So, you know, it's only temporary. You know, this life is only temporary. You know, the relationships we enjoy these days are only temporary. 
How many times we think of our parents or other loved ones. They, maybe they get taken from us suddenly. You know, never even ha- get the chance to uh, have any last words with them. You know, but we're going to, when we're ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ, along with those that have died in Christ before us, you know, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. But we're also going to see those loved ones, you know, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But, you know, a little story that uh, uh, Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, you have the story of the uh, rich man and Lazarus. And some people think that's a parable. But if it's a parable, it's not like any other parable because most of the, the par- parables are vague, you know, deal- when dealing with people. You know, a certain Pharisee, uh, you know, and a tax collector or a man went out to sow. Jesus used general terms. Here he uses specific terms. He mentions Abraham and he mentions Lazarus. So he mentions people by name. But the thing that we learn from this is that you recognize people even on the other side of eternity. And when we receive our resurrection bodies, I don't know what they're going to look like. But one thing for sure, maybe it's not so much the physical form, but the fact that you will be able to see right into the very spirit of the person that's there. And of course, you know, when we think about it, there's always going to people going to be people that will want to seek out, or at least we'll think we want to see out, seek out. Maybe we won't even care at that point. You know, maybe we'll just see people. You know, I don't know. Hallelujah. Okay, last one here. Because Jesus rose from the dead. We need to tell others about it. Amen? You know, we call it the Great Commission. Why do we call it the Great Suggestion? Did Jesus say, I suggest that you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. No, He commanded us. He said, go therefore and make disciples disciples he didn't say make converts he said make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age so we are commanded to preach the gospel to others. It's not an option, brothers and sisters. And you know, I took the message last Sunday and I preached. I told you how you can present the gospel to others. So you know how to do it. And I even passed out those uh, uh, four spiritual laws for everybody. So you know how to do it. And... If you're afraid to do it, you have Jesus' promise found in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. 
but you will receive power. I have received power. Everybody say it. I have received power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon me. And you will be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, you wonder why I go to uh, Thailand there? Is that that was that was the the country that God commanded uh, that uh, called God called me to go to. Hey, back in those days, they didn't even know where Thailand was. Amen. Back in uh, two thousand years ago, but I went there because. I had been called to that and God commanded me to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're not just called to evangelize. We are called to make disciples. We don't just make converts. We make disciples. And what does it mean to make disciples? That is, if we preach the gospel to them and they receive it, we don't just abandon them. They're not orphans. God doesn't want orphans in this world. You know, I think that's what happens with a lot of these people. Maybe that you remember when we studied the rocky soil, how the, you know, things didn't go their way. So, so often it's not just their fault. Of course, they're responsible. Everybody's responsible for the condition of their heart. A lot of times it's our fault too because we don't take them under our wing and teach them the principles of God's Word. Okay? So we, if they receive Christ, we don't just leave them hanging out there in the cold. Instead, we take them under our wing and teach them what they need to know about the Bible and the Christian walk. Yes. So the question is, can you do this? Can you disciple others? Well, if we can't do it, maybe it's because we haven't become a true disciple, a true follower ourselves. We don't take the time to learn to study the Bible, to pray, to walk with the Lord on a day-by-day uh, -day basis. Okay? What did Jesus say? He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then what? Learn of me. How many of us are learning from Jesus? If you're going to be a disciple, you have to learn from Jesus. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, we need to be disciples. Learn from Jesus and take that knowledge and disciple others. That's what the resurrection of Christ means to us. So we're, we're going to close now with a... Uh, uh, one of my really favorite songs by Hillsong. Go on ahead and uh, cue that up if you would, uh, uh, Susie. It's called The Passion.
Hallelujah. And, you know, I look around the room, I see everybody here, and everybody, as far as I know, is a Christian, but I have to open it up. And uh, if uh, you have not received Jesus Christ and received this eternal life for you, I just want to lead you in the uh, sinner's prayer here. And uh, again, this is you can find this sinner's prayer in uh, Greg Laurie's New Believer's Bible. Just repeat after me here. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments and fallen short of your standards. Right now, I turn from that sin and ask you to come into my life. Be my Lord, Savior, Friend, and God. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, in Him alone, to save me from my sins. Thank you for loving me and calling me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He is risen. Amen. Means death to death and life to me. Death died when Jesus rose again. Hallelujah. That's what the resurrection means to us. Praise God. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord God. And we thank you for visiting us in your power, Lord, and giving your words, Lord, which bring eternal life to us. And help us, Lord God, to go out and live resurrected lives ourselves, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for touching our hearts today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You feel his presence here? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay.